I'm saying hello to everybody. Nobody's saying hello. I guess the switchboard is acting crazy. We just got you. I just got you. Oh, wow. I lost you for a moment. So whatever you said, you better say it again, brother. Oh, I was saying that I was going to ask, I get no, I was going to ask, I guess, a question because a really good friend of mine is already in trouble on network TV. His uh, first name is Bill. His last name start, you know, with an M. He wanted me to ask our, our guest, how could you make a co-host disappear and reappear with, with his body in one room and his legs in another? Uh-huh. <laughs> but but I'm going to let you introduce I guess first Then I'll ask you back oh, well, Michael are you with us? I'm here Well <laughs> wonderful <laughs> I, I, It's good to have you Michael I'm, I'm really happy to meet you And excited about this conversation I have no idea what's going on With Lamont He doesn't always <laughs> take his medication So well, you, you know, know I, I, I just got on at the end of the question that he asked, so I missed the first part of it. But uh, something tells me it was an interesting one. It oh was. yeah, he, he asked. <laughs> he only has interesting questions. Sometimes they're the best questions ever asked on the air. And you just have to, you just have to ask him about that. He will tell you, Michael. I'd like to introduce you, and then we have quite a few questions to ask. And um, I just want to share a little bit. There's so much about you that we can talk about. But uh, let me make a, just a brief introduction, and then we'll we'll get started here. Uh, today we have Michael Grandinetti, who aims to excite and mystify America this summer when he returns for his fourth season on the hit CW TV series, Masters of Illusion. This season, Michael will perform his 20th illusion for the series, along with many other spectacular feats never seen seen before on TV. The series premieres Friday, June 30th at 8 p.m. Illusionist Michael Grandinetti is always up for a challenge. For the past 20 years, Michael has made a name for himself across the country with such stunning feats as levitating in a stadium while surrounded by 70,000 people, causing a 200-piece orchestra to read the minds of an audience and play songs only thought of, and making a 20-foot American flag appear on the White House lawn for Easter. Returning as one of the featured performers on the CW hit series Masters of Illusion, Michael Grandinetti, who has been named by Entertainment Weekly as a great magician who can truly communicate with the TV audience, and by Hidden Remote as a fan favorite, is aiming to top his past performances in all three seasons with a batch of brand new illusions that combine his signature elements of drama, suspense, and comedy with music, personality, and audience participation. Since the show's premiere in the summer of 2013, Michael has performed some of his favorite illusions on the show's Hollywood stage, including levitating an unsuspecting audience member under bright lights, shrinking a dancer to the size of a basketball, causing live goldfish to appear from his bare hands, and vanishing from high above the stage and reappearing in the center of the audience. This season will include Michael's 20th illusion, 
that he has performed on the series. A stunning, never-before-seen illusion with a 40-inch spinning buzzsaw. I have to see this one. This is going to be good. Michael, welcome to our show. We're really excited to have you. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk with you. How was that? How was that for an introduction, Michael? That was a fantastic introduction. I told Matthew that I've had the pleasure of talking to you once before, and I feel like I know you. Oh, absolutely! I still remember our, our interview last year, and it was it was one of my favorites. I, I had I had so much fun talking with you. So thanks for having me back. You heard you heard that, didn't you, Matthew? I did, I did. Michael, Michael, I swear, what is he paying you? I don't know, but he's got to deal with you about this. I don't know. He, well, I miss what he said. I miss what he said, but I will say this. Ask me whatever you want today except for how the magic works. Well, I, I want to go back, if you don't mind, to early on in your life for a quick question, and, and maybe it's not a quick answer, but a really interesting kind of work, which I assume – must take an enormous amount of preparation and study and skill to pull this stuff off. So what what got you into this? I mean, did you start as a child with excitement about illusionists and, and magicians, or, or how did you get into it? Well, I got very lucky. I, I got a magic set for Christmas when I was five, and uh, and that was it. You know, And I said I was very lucky because how many people find what they love to do that young in life? Um, but mm-hmm. I did. When I got that magic set, I was I was hooked. That was it. I knew it was what I wanted to do. And honestly, guys, I can't remember a time, you know, where magic wasn't the driving force in my life. I, you know, because that was that was quite a few years ago. So you know, magic's been such a such a main focus of my life for so long. Um, and I'm lucky. You know, I, I'm lucky. I found that uh, you know that kind of uh, passion in my life. Well, have you had? Um like mentors, heroes that you looked up to in, in this work as you grew up? Well, you know, I, there wasn't one specific, you know, person that I would say was, uh, you know, a mentor. But what I did was when I was a kid and even into my teens, I studied everything that I could about magic. I mean, I just couldn't get the information fast enough. And, and you have to remember, this was in a time before there was no YouTube, there was no email, there was no Internet. Not that I'm that old. But it was it was just coming in, you know, as I was in uh, kind of college. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had to dig deep to find all this stuff. But I really, I admired, you know, anybody in magic that I saw who really put the time in. Because to your point, to your first question, it, it's not easy. You know, it, it, magic, our, our job is to make it look easy. You know, magicians should make it look very easy to do what they're doing. But behind that, it is very complicated. So anybody who I saw who was doing magic – you know, very well, and you could tell he put the thought and the time into it. Those are the people that I really admired. Yeah, well, I would I would assume it's a, it's a kind of thing that's very easy to do badly. Well, that was my oh, I was going to ask I was I was going to ask uh, Michael that question. As a layman, how would we detect what's good magic versus bad magic? You mean when you're watching it in the audience? Yes. Well, that's actually a very good question, but I think the answer is you just know. You just know. I mean, the, the, if you're sitting there, 
so the goal when, when we perform magic, when a magician performs magic, is to make you, the audience, feel completely amazed and to have no idea, to kind of feel like you did when you were a little kid and you felt like anything was possible. So mm-hmm. you, you know when you get that feeling. You know when you see something and you go, I have no idea what just happened here. That is completely amazing. So, you know, and what I try and do is, you know, I'm very um, determined to make our magic as strong as possible. I want to give you, the audience, the biggest sense of amazement that I possibly can. It's not just about you going, oh, that was kind of nice. I want you guys to say, wow, that was unbelievable. So you know, that's my goal. That's, my, that's what I, you know, I'm constantly working on brand new things to try and keep pushing that and keep pushing that. So as the audience, if you sit there and you go, wow, that was amazing, then me or whoever the magician is, I think, has done their job. How did your family and friends react to you performing magic when you were coming up? Were they supportive? Did they think you were kind of strange, kind of different? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm lucky again because I was – everybody was incredibly supportive, incredibly supportive. I, I can honestly tell you guys I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you um, if I didn't have all that support. Everybody from my family to, the, to everybody in the community made me feel like I could absolutely be a magician for my career. You know, when I was like 12 and I first started doing shows – they never treated me like I was a little kid doing shows. Adults would hire me for like company parties and different events, and they treated me like well, I was a magician. He was ne- never t- talking about <laughs> me. They never, you know. Hey, you know, hey so, Mike, it was it yeah. wasn't scared of your ass, Woody. They, they they just start thinking you're gonna make them disappear, did they? Well, well, yeah, there was that too. There was that too. <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna mention that, but that's true. That's true. So no, you know, it, it, it's guys when you get that support, man, that just pushes you. Right. That's fantastic. Well, when you are when you are creating what you create and you're doing it in front of so many people, um, does the things go wrong? Um, so we rehearse a lot to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, it's very easy for stuff to go wrong. It's very. I'll give you an example. I won't tell you. It's not an example of something that went wrong, but. So you mentioned that illusion that was our 20th illusion on the show where I mm-hmm. cut the girl in half with the spinning buzzsaw. And, again, the goal is to make it look very simple. But that is one of the most complicated illusions that I've ever done in my 20-plus career. It is so complicated. So if you don't, you know, look at one detail, something could go wrong. The girl might not go back together. Um, and, I, you know, it sounds funny for me to say that. I'm partially joking. I'm joking about that part. But, but something could go wrong. So we plan very, very carefully to make sure all bases are covered so that that doesn't happen. But truth be told, you know, you're traveling around the country, you're working with all this stuff day in and day out. Um, you know, stuff happens sometimes. And what you have to do there is you have to have a backup plan. R- remember this. Most times the audience doesn't know what the magician is going to do. Mm-hmm. So if I deviate from my plan and I go to plan B, if we've done it in the right way, you won't even know that we went to plan B. Oh, and that's what we have to plan for. You know, to the audience, um, hopefully, hopefully you can navigate the waters so that they're not even aware anything was different. That's what you call professionalism. It, you know, it's called, you know, never want to let the audience down. 
everyone here's the thing like if i were a musician if i were in a band and i hit one bad note it wouldn't really matter you keep going with the song and you keep going as a magician if you hit one wrong aspect of an illusion if something doesn't look exactly right uh it ruins everything because because the it's not that the audience isn't forgiving but it just breaks the illusion of the magic it's like if you saw if you're going to a movie you know um and you saw I'll give you an old reference, like E.T., the movie E.T. If you saw, like, a person, a person's hand in that, you know, in that uh, character, it would, it would, you, right. would, you know it's not real. You know it's not real, but you let right. go and you just believe in the movie. But if you saw for that one instance, like, an actual person's hand inside there, forevermore you watch that movie and, and the illusion will be ruined. You know what I'm saying? And magic's like that. So I never want to let the audience down like that. So you said that you were you were performing as early as twelve. Yeah, I, I started doing shows when I was twelve years old. Um, wow. All over my hometown, you know, everything from, geez, you know, company parties for adults. We would do, you know, there, there was always a company holiday party or year-end party, or, uh, you know, you do shows for kids. There were Cub Scout groups. There were. You know, there were just – Pittsburgh had a lot – I grew up in Pittsburgh, by the way, and Pittsburgh had a lot of opportunity. Uh, there was even a riverboat cruise, and there still is. It goes up and down the, the three rivers of Pittsburgh, and they hired me, and I would do magic on the boats as the boats went up and down the rivers. Um, you know, there was a lot of – thankfully, a lot of um, – again, I got that support, and there was a lot of opportunity to go out and just and just work and get better. Well, what sort of illusions were you doing when you were 12 and 13 years old? Well, I wasn't cutting people in half with big buzz saws. Okay. That, that is for sure. Um, I was doing, uh, you know, a lot of the things that, so uh, let me back up a step. There was a magic shop in Pittsburgh that was great, and I would go there every couple of weeks and get, and get uh, you know, spend my allowance money on different, different magic effects. And I would always try and find, you know, just like I said today, I'm always trying to push. I'm always trying to find bigger and better. I always try to find even back in those days, bigger and better things, even for a 12-year-old. It wasn't big in scale, but I wanted to, you know, be as good as I could with it. But the stuff that I was doing was pretty much, you know, magic store, uh, bot, props, until I was about 14, 15. Those first, you know, then I started to kind of, you know, invent different things and add my own, you know, kind of sort of creative elements into it. But those early shows were things Mm -hmm. like, I'll give you an example of some of the things that I did. Um, you know, I would tear and I would take a section of the Pittsburgh newspaper and tear it up and put it back together. I would um, uh, there was a tube, this tube I showed empty, and um, I, I would make bottles of uh, soda appear, uh, big full bottles out of this tube. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of sleight of hand magic, a lot of close-up magic, a lot of, you know, card magic, coin magic, stuff that was small, like, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that you start out with. Um, so, you know, it was, it, was, it was magic like that. But I knew in my mind, even in those days, that uh, the big illusions was what I wanted to do. That was always, that was always my goal. Michael, At what point? Go ahead, Lamont. Uh, Michael, um, do illusionists or magicians study from uh, – other magicians and illusionists, or do you guys find yourself creating your own? Well, I mean, most of the time I would say that it works a couple of ways. It actually works a couple of ways. So, uh, you know, 
most of the time you can create your own, but but there is a, a vast like pool of information out there. Magicians have written books. You know, there are more books written on card tricks than any other subject. So, uh-huh. I mean, card tricks alone, there are more books written on card tricks than any other subject. I heard that, and that just blew my mind. Um, so, yeah, so, but that, and that's just one kind of branch of magic. So there's a bunch of, you know, a lot of magicians have kind of, it's not that they give lessons. You don't go to magic school. You don't go to magic class. You don't have a formal teacher. But you can buy books and video, and now, nowadays DVDs and all that stuff and, and learn from magicians that way. Um, but there are a lot of magicians, too, who come up with and create and invent and perform their own, their own magic. Um, and for me, that's very satisfying. You know, it feels great to watch the audience respond to something that, that you've uh, kind of created from the ground up. So, you know, in my career, I've done it, I've done it both ways. I've, I've invented things, and I've also looked at things that have been done in magic's history, and I've tried to find ways of, you know, doing it in our own way. Again, that sawing in half is an example. I, I certainly didn't invent sawing somebody in half, but, I, you know, I tried to come up with a way that was different and put my own unique spin on it. So I would say for most magicians, it's a combination of both those things. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can understand that. And I guess the more, I guess, the longer you do it and the better you but more you perfect it, the more that you perfect your craft. I don't know what's wrong with me today. The more you perfect your craft, I guess you can be more creative. But learn how to be more creative. Yeah, absolutely. And you always got to be studying. You know, think of it this way. Think of it like a doctor. Doctors are always trying to stay up on all the new medicine, all the new information. You do not want to go to a doctor who last uh, learned a piece of information in 1985. You know, you want somebody who's up on all the latest stuff. And in magic, it's kind of, you know, there's always something new to learn. There's always something, you know, I always tell people I will run out of time before I run out of, you know, pieces of magic that have been done in history to look at. There's so much out there. But you always have to stay on top of it. Always, I say, be forward thinking. Always be forward thinking. Don't rest on your laurels and, you know, just do what's been done. Always look for making things better. Well, you you just uh, made a statement that I think was interesting. I want to ask you about. You said, out of history, there's there are illusions in history that you look back to and say, I want to do some version of that. Is do you do that? Oh yeah, I mean there's 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 some great great illusions that have been done. Um, I mean, magic's a very rich art that goes back hundreds of years, and in some cases thousands of years. There are examples, literally. I was at a magic uh, history conference uh, a week ago in Canada, and there there was somebody discussing evidence of magic in the year, like, 100. You know, that just makes you realize how old, you know, and there's pieces of magic that go even further back than that. But, yes, I mean, there is... So sawing in half is a perfect example. You know, that was done in the 20s, in the 1920s. So you go back and you look at that concept and you go, that's a great idea. Um, how do we make it different? I'll give you another example. So walking through a wall. When I was a kid, walking through a wall, there was just something that was magic to me about the idea of walking through a wall. Um, Houdini walked through a brick wall in the 1920s. Um, so you look at that concept and you go, you know, that's a, I love the idea of that. So we came up with a way to do it with a steel wall. And uh, so I walk, we have a seven-foot-tall, four-foot-wide plate of steel that's examined by the audience. And then I walk directly through the center of that steel. 
And, you know, we came up with a presentation and a way of doing it that, um, you know, I'm very flattered to say even magicians um, have been uh, kind of amazed by it, which, which I love. You know, if you can make another magician amazed, uh, you know, that's kind of a rare, uh, a rare treat on that. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great magic history to, to learn from and to, and to, you know, update for modern audiences. I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to give away any, you know, I'm sure you won't, but is there any difference between walking through a brick wall and a steel wall? It's still uh, a wall, that's a, right? That's a, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. I, th- there are. So, so from a presentational standpoint, there's a lot of different things you could do with it presentationally different. From the magical technology that's used to allow you to walk through the wall, it's completely different to walk through a brick wall than it is to walk through a steel wall. You know, it uses completely different magical technology to do that. Um, so, yeah, you know, the effect to the audience is, is, you know, at the end of the day you're walking through a, an object, you're walking through a wall, but it's completely different. I'll tell you this, if I were to walk through a brick wall <clears throat> versus the steel wall that we currently do, the presentation would be different and the, the way that I do it would be, and, and again, the magical technology behind it would be, a hundred percent different. Wow. When did you when did you get interested in really doing the levitation illusions? I find those particularly interesting. When did that start uh, yeah, for you? Well, I've always <clears throat> I've always loved levitation. When I was again when I was a kid, the idea of anything floating. When I when I would go to the magic shop as a kid, there was a silver ball in one of the glass cases, and it was just labeled the floating ball. And I always remember looking in that glass case, and it was forty bucks. And for a twelve-year-old kid, forty bucks was a was a lot of money. And I, you know, and you go, ah, oh, I wish I could have that. But just the the, the image of that uh, silver ball—it was like a twelve-foot, twelve-foot, twelve-inch diameter ball floating in the air. You just go, that that must look amazing. I've just had this fast. I've been fascinated with the idea of levitation. You know, again since those early years. I so it was always something that I wanted to do. It was always kind of when I got into illusions, I want to levitate. Um, and as I got older, you know, when we when we when I started to really get into doing the big illusions in my teens, in my late, um, there, from that point forward, there was always a version of levitation in my show. There was, you know, at first I, I levitated above a sword, and you know, I so I levitated my body above a sword, and then I would drop, and the sword would actually come up through me. Um, and then we des- we developed a, a version of levitation that we've taken to a lot of our stadium shows now where we, you know, go to the football stadiums and, and I float 10 feet above the 50-yard line while people surround the levitation. Um, mm-hmm. So there's always been uh, – we even did a version of levitation we, about four, three years ago uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, in the 4th of July parade where I made a girl float above a float as we moved down Constitution uh, Avenue uh, for the parade. So levitation has always been, um, I think as long as I'm performing, there'll be a version of a levitation in my show. I I just loved it. Do you, one of the things that I'm thinking about is from your point of view, when you watch other magicians and illusionists, which I imagine you do, you probably have a very good idea about how they're making something happen. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, I, you know, it, I, I, I wish, I wish, 
the answer were, were different. I don't like to, to, to do that. I wish I could sit there and be amazed. Well, but, that's why I was uh, asking the question. I'm wondering if it ruins the how, – what, how does it affect you when you watch somebody else do something? Well, you know, I don't get a chance to be amazed. And I think most magicians will tell you that because it's like you, you mm-hmm. think like a magician. When you, when you watch magic, you, you, you think like a magician, and you can't shut off right. the magician switch. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you decipher it in your head. But I will tell you this. I get to watch it from, from a perspective that most people don't have. I get to look at it and go, okay, they put a lot of work into that. They put a lot of thought into that. They took that idea further than anyone I've seen before. They got creative with that. They, I could appreciate it from a different, um, you know, I, I will get a wow from it sometimes, like a wow, but it won't be from a sense of amazement, sadly. It'll be, look at what they did with that. Look at look at how far they took that or look at the idea they had with that. Or So I'll you know, I'll enjoy it from a completely different perspective, but I wished I could, I remember what it felt like to be amazed. I remember when I yeah. was a kid and, and I wish I could feel that again. That's a, it's a great feeling. But where but do Michael, you, where uh, do you go? Michael, but, but still a sense of respect that I'm hearing from you, of the work that they put into it. That, that's still to me like a sense of amazement, man. You're still giving them their props for their time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody who, who puts the time into, into really doing magic well, because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. That steel wall piece took almost seven years to, to really figure out and, and, uh, and get right. And so when you see a magician, anybody, doing something that you enjoy and that you think is good, you can really, oh, yeah, you, you appreciate the, the work that they, right. that they put in. And I, I know the work that they put in. You know, exactly. and it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy. Right. That's why I understood what you meant by, you know, you – you 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 enjoy it from a different perspective because you know the time and the work that they put in it that were you know we don't but you you would absolutely Michael where do you go in in your life to find amazement hmm well where do I find amazement that's, yeah. that's I can answer question. that one I yep. can answer that one for you Michael yeah I'll let you answer I, I want to hear this. Michael finds amazement when he creates an illusion or a magic trick of his own, and it comes out flawlessly. I tell you, you can give this interview for me. That's a perfect answer. That's a perfect <laughs> answer. No, it's true. It's true. When you do so, I, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. I had a conversation with another magician yesterday, and we were talking about a new illusion. And both of us said, you know, as good as we think this is, until we put it in front of an audience, we will not know if we're right or we're wrong. We may think this is the best illusion ever created. And then we go and perform it and you go, you know, the audience for some reason didn't relate to it like we thought that they did. So when they do and you perform something brand new and, they, and they, you can see them, you know, uh, that to me feels as good as, it, you know, it's not necessarily amazement, but it, it feels great. You know, it's that same kind of, happy feeling that, that I think the audience gets from watching Magic. So good answer, Lamont. You heard that, Matthew? I did. <laughs> <laughs> you heard the so, last thing he said, Lamont? Lamont, did you hear uh, the last thing he said? No, I'm going to ask Michael about that. Uh, uh, that I'll magic tell you the last thing he said <laughs> if you want to hear it. I'll tell you the last thing he said if you want to hear it. 
Go for it. You don't want to hear. He said it may not be amazement. Oh yeah. See what I, I was I asking. Heard the that. question he, I was asking. Being, he was being it. modest though. You ha. You, the, the thing that I was imagining, Michael, is that you've said two or three times that you just absolutely love to amaze people. I mean, that really, that that drives you. That's a, that's a passion. Part of your passion for your work is to create this thing that makes people amazed. And I think that that's a really unusual and special kind of gift and way of looking at your work. And I was thinking, boy, it must be hard for you to find things that do the same for you. And it's interesting that you do it so often for so many other people, and it must be a rare experience for you to have. Yeah, it is. It really is. I, honestly, I can't, you know, in all seriousness, it's hard for me to even think of a time where I get to feel that sense of amazement, at least in the sense of, again, if we're talking about magic, the sense of what audiences get when they watch magic. You know, I, again, I... I when you do magic for as long as I have, you know, 30, 30 plus years, your mind just becomes very analytical about all these little details about how things, how everything works. You know, as I go through life, I approach everything with trying to figure out how it's done, why it's done that way, what's behind mm-hmm. it, not just magic stuff, but everything. You know, it just, it kind of trains your mind to look at stuff that way. And so when you have that analytical kind of mind, uh, again, you, you just, you don't shut that switch off. So because of that, it, it's just it's hard to let go and just be amazed yeah. behind that. But mm-hmm. I hope you know. Again, I want to be proven wrong. I want to next time we talk, I want to be able to tell you guys. You know what? I was completely amazed, and here's what got me. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, we gonna hope for it for you. Do you have any Thanks. children, Michael? I have no kids. I, I am not married. I you know I. I, right now, I tell people I'm married to my married to my work. I was just wondering because sometimes people will say they felt amazed when their child was born, or you know something like that. You know, it's that's diff- very different from what you're doing with your life. So that that's why I asked you that question. I was curious about it. No, it's true. Well, it's true. I've, I've heard the exact same thing. I've heard the exact same thing, and. Yeah, so someday maybe you know that that's a, that's a good that's a good example of uh, something that may, that might get me you know at some point. Still, it'd be scary because you could make them appear and disappear when they get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, at what point? So, at what point did uh, television enter in your life? When I was a senior in college. Uh, NBC was doing a special called The World's Most Dangerous Magic. Uh, and, and in the 90s, when this show aired, um, there was a bunch of magic specials on television. This company was just, you know, was NBC was, was very supportive of magic, and they put a lot of magic on TV. And so there was this show, like I said, and, and it just so happened that I had just designed this illusion that was, again, extremely dangerous. It fit the bill perfectly. It was a it was a spike escape, and we still do this in our show, as a matter of fact, it, where I get chained up to this frame. My wrists are chained. My waist is chained. My legs are chained. I'm covered with gasoline, and I'm between two walls. I'm on a platform six feet above the ground between two walls of steel spikes, razor-sharp steel spikes. These spikes are not an illusion. These are real metal spikes. And then we light the spikes on fire. And the spikes are set. The spikes were set on a spring mechanism. So when the sand ran through this hourglass, 
there were 60 seconds in the hourglass. When the sand ran through, came, went all the way through the hourglass, the spikes were released, and they came flying together. So if I, wasn't, if I didn't escape and wasn't out of the way, not only would I get spiked, but I would go up in flames while I got spiked. So talk about dangerous. It was pretty, pretty dangerous. So um, I was in college at the time. And I, um, you know, the, the folks at NBC and the, and the production company of this show um, had heard about this um, this escape that we had. Because, again, even in those days, I was very proactive. I was constantly sending out videotapes and constantly calling people and writing to people. And, you know, I was pushing very hard. Well, they heard about this, and, um, and they thought it was a novelty because I was so young. I mean, I was a college kid with this giant, huge, dangerous escape. So they invited me to come to Los Angeles. It's the first time I was ever in L.A. They flew me out, flew me and, and my, uh, my assistants out, and we did it for, we were out here for about four days, and we filmed it, and, uh, and it was, talk about exciting. I mean, to be, to have this piece of magic air on NBC was just, um, you know, it was, it was like a dream come true for this college kid. I had, to get, I had to get permission from my college professors to skip class I had to go up to him and say, you know what, you guys mind if I skip, you know, marketing class next week? I, I'm going to California to shoot this TV show. And um, you know, they were all very supportive. And, you know, it, so I did that, and, and that was it. Again, I talk about getting hooked again. I was hooked on magic and television. I knew from that point on that TV was where I wanted to be with my mm-hmm. magic because you could, reach, you could reach so many people with television. Right. So that really, uh, that really set me down a path as well. Awesome. When you said your assistants, I uh, was thinking um, when you do a production nowadays, how many people are in your crew? Well, it takes a lot of people to do, a, you know, a, a full-scale illusion show. You know, we have uh, just from a stage crew perspective, we have seven people who are on stage. Uh, you know, dancers. Uh, you know, our, our female dancers and our male assistants and. But backstage, you know, there are people on sound, there are people on lights, there are people on rigging because we have props that get hoisted up into the air. And, you know, there are people, um, you know, making sure that all these elements happen who are, you know, kind of the stage directors. And it's it's a lot of people. I mean, the full show, when you're looking at a full-scale magic show, it takes a good, you know, 20 to 30 people to really That's make it I work. Imagining. How, yeah. how, how do you keep these kinds of pieces of this secret? if you have that many people participating? First, well, you know, very good question. The first way you do it is you have to be very careful about who you work with. You know, trust is a very big thing. So when you're hiring somebody, you know, you have to feel that you're hiring somebody who's going to uh, uphold that, that sense of secrecy and and protect, protect what you're doing. Um, Honestly, you know, it protects the audience more than it protects me. If you guys, if, if somebody blabs a secret, doesn't really hurt me. I'll continue to work, but you guys, you'll be like me. You won't get to be amazed. So yeah. it hurts you. It hurts you guys to know the secret. So you know, I try to find people who who will trust who I can trust and who respects that and who gets that. Uh, and they all also they do sign secrecy agreements. That That's say that, what you know, was my next question. Yeah, yeah, it's important. You know, that's important. Yeah. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're hoping that. You know, even with that secrecy agreement, that uh, that beyond that piece of paper, that they're just not gonna, that they're gonna be respectful and not and not 
you know, ruin that for the audience anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's tough, you know. Yeah. But fortunately, I will say this, fortunately, most of the people that we've worked with in theaters all over the, all over the country, they're all kind of, you know, they're all, they're all in the entertainment business, whether they're on sound or they're on lights or they're on, they kind of get what we're trying to do. They're, they're all in the business because, you know, for kind of sort of the same reason as far as let's entertain the audience. This is, this is, you know, they, they're just doing a different aspect of it. So most of them have been very, very good about that. And, uh, cause they get it, you know, they, they don't want to not, they don't want to ruin it. So we've Plus been lucky in that regard. Another artist. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, because again, they're they're you know they're doing the same business just from a different end, so they they, they understand that. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, if if somebody does tell, they're hurting. They're not hurting the magician. They're hurting the audience, and that's that's a shame. That's a shame. Mm-hmm. Well, so speak what, on I'm, a, I'm here. Uh, go ahead, Matthew. Go ahead. I was going to ask answer. you about college because it sounded like you said you were in college. And doing that at the same time, what were you majoring in? Business. Uh, I went to school for marketing. I have my degree in marketing. And because you can't go to school for magic, you know, but I knew magic is what I wanted to do. So I went to uh, Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And at the time, they, and I'm sure they still do that, really good business school. And I thought that was important. If I want to be in show business, I got to learn the business part of it. So I studied. Uh, I studied business, and, and yeah, I, honestly, I can tell you, it was very helpful. Interesting. So, was it tempting to to let go of college at any point and just go with what you were doing? My like, family, you know, basketball players. <laughs> I would have been a dead man. <laughs> you know, it's uh, no. I mean, you know, in all seriousness, yeah. My my family did say, look, do it, do whatever you want to do, but you got to go to college. You have to. But I never fought them on that, you know. I never. I, I understood that that's very important. And yeah, what was my heart was at the time in in business class or was it in magic? My it was in magic. But you know, I knew at the same time that uh, you know this information I was getting was going to help me, you know, and uh, and it did, and it certainly did. So there, you know, as much as I. In my mind, I was just like, oh, can we get through these four years? I just want to get through these four years and be a magician. I, you know, I, I knew at the same time that this is where I had to be at that point, and I had to do it. So, so yeah, you know, it, 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 uh, I, I never really had to force myself to do it. Yeah, I get so, it. I, it makes perfect sense, though. It makes perfect sense. You can market yourself. Mm-hmm. You know how. Yeah. That's <laughs> not, yeah, not that that's what you want to do, but the people that you have that's doing that for you, at least you know if they're doing their job or not, because you know, understand. Oh, and, and that's that's the thing. You hit you hit a key a uh, key point right there. Is that you know when you start to build a business and you start to bring other people into it, you know, I, I can't. So I'm a control kind of guy. Like I really, I, I'm so involved in every aspect of my work and my business that I do keep an eye on everything. At the same time you have to delegate certain things to certain people and yes, you have sure. to hope that they're going to do it. Having the knowledge to your point that are they doing it right? Are they doing it wrong? Uh, that's very, that's essential, you know? And, and yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. That allowed me to go, you know, I am not happy with how that's being done or I'm very happy with how that's being done. You know? Exactly. 
and 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 being a, and, and busy and being aggressive forward thinking like yourself, I know you don't have time to constantly try to micromanage anybody, and that's what you know. I find myself it, it frustrates the hell out of me, you know. Uh, and so you try very diligently to put people in those positions that really understand and know their jobs, so that frees you up to creative and do what you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and it's 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 tough because I'm I'm a perfectionist, and you know, so I expect, um, you know, people who don't just do things just to do them. You know, if you're going to do anything, do it right, do it to the best of your ability, give two hundred percent. You know, and, and to me, that's just with everything. That's so when you're a perfectionist, it is uh, it's it's tough to be a boss. Because you you know it. you are every detail, but you know what? At the same time, it's a double-edged sword because you got you have to be that way. You know what? If you, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, being a perfectionist, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in business, or if you're going after a very difficult field such as entertainment, um, unless you get very lucky, I think being being a perfectionist and being detail-oriented is what you have to be. I well, I can certainly it. understand that in terms of what you do. That's like, but it's true about, I think, for most people who are entrepreneurs, you have to pay a lot of attention to all the details um, because nobody's going to care about it the way you are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, I'm fortunate in a way that, uh, you know, I, I, I was never afraid to do the work. You know, even when I was a kid, like I said, when I was a teenager, and when I, you know, I, again, that NBC special came my way because I was knocking on a lot of doors. I've never been afraid to roll up my sleeve to this day, you know, and, and and do whatever it takes to make a successful product and to put the work in and to put the time in, um, you know. And because of that, again, you know, you could look at the big picture and know what's working and know what's not working, and um, you know, maintain your standards. That's that's again really important. <laughs> So I have I a, a, a question, Michael. I I do a lot of work with uh, people, uh, particularly younger people in their 20s who talk about what they want to do with their lives. And I'm curious, if I had somebody who's 18, 19, or 20 years old or so and says to me, I'd like to be an illusionist, Where, what kind of advice do you give that person? Well, I mean, they want to do that for their career. Or they want to do mm-hmm. it as a hobby. As I'd a say, career? well, I'd I'd say career would be a better question. Okay. Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, if they're starting from zero, you know, learn as much as you can about every facet of magic and every facet of theater that you can, and then start and and get out there and do as much of it as you can. Volunteer volunteer to do shows. Learn by doing. And just do it over and over and over and build up to the point where you have a really good product and then get a really good business background. Um, because you're going to need that to, to, like we just said, whether you're doing it yourself or whether somebody else is doing it, you're going to need to have the knowledge to know if, if things are being done right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you have that in place, once you have a good product, um, and, and it takes the time. I tell people doing magic is like playing a violin. You can go spend the money and buy the prop. You, but if if you just pick it up and start playing that violin, it's going to sound awful. If you put years of work into it, it's going to sound amazingly beautiful. So magic's like that. 
put your diligence and put your time in, be diligent with it. And, and um, once you have that, go out and, like I said, and, and perform and figure out ways to, um, to uh, my big motivating factor has been trying to find ways to take magic in different directions. And we've been, you know, we've had a great time taking magic to all these different areas. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, have fun with it. Make sure you're always having fun with what you do. And I think if you have the solid business foundation, if you have the solid foundation of what you're doing and you have a great product, and at the end of the day you love what you're doing, I think those three elements combined, you're going to find your way. And you're going to find a way to go out there and make a living at what you do, whether it's doing big shows, whether it's doing small shows, whether it's, you know, there are many ways to perform as a magician, and you'll find that level that, that makes you completely happy. The other thing is be aggressive. And whatever you do, and whatever you do, nothing's going to come to you. And this, this applies to being an illusionist or being anything. What I've learned is if you want something, um, knock on a lot of doors and, you know, and go out there and be aggressive and be persistent. And Somebody told me, uh, okay, I'll tell you, I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll name drop here for you. So when I first moved to Los Angeles, I, I, I crossed paths with Henry Winkler, you know, uh, played the Fonz yeah. on TV. Right. Incredibly nice guy. And I, I just walked up to him and I said, uh, you know, I'm brand new to town and I've got to ask you a question. You know, what does it take to succeed in this business? And he said, you got to be like one of those punching bags with the sand in the bottom where it gets hit and you just bounce back up and it gets hit and it gets, and it just bounce back up. And I always remember that. And I think you, know, you have to have that persistence and that resilience. Um, and you combine that with all those other things that I mentioned. And I think, you know, you'll be well on your way to having a career as, as an illusionist. Hmm. Tell us quickly, uh, Michael, about the, uh, the, show, the show, Masters of Illusion. I am really excited about this new season. Uh, it's the fourth season of the show. Uh, you know, it, it, it's every year we try and top what we did in the past. And I, I, by that, I mean, you know, my team who, you know, we always, I don't compete with other magicians, I always say, but I'm very competitive with myself. So for the fourth season, uh, which we just wrapped filming on, we tape in Hollywood. It's taped in a studio in Hollywood in front of 300 people. So there's a live audience there watching everything. And, you know, it's a show where magicians around the country come, basically come to Hollywood and bring their best stuff. So this year, like I said, we really tried to figure out a way, how do we make this better than what we did? So we pulled together a bunch of brand-new illusions that we had that um, I can't wait for people to see. I think this is some of the best stuff that we've ever performed, that we've ever performed on television. Um, we talked about the sawing in half that, with the big buzzsaw. Um, that one is really interesting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really anxious to hear the, the, what people think of that. Uh, we also have a, it's a big five foot diameter fan. It's an industrial fan with these big metal blades that spin. And again, the fan is no illusion. It, the, it's a real fan. The blades are real. And um, I pull my body right through those spinning fan blades. So I go behind mm -hmm. the fan and I pull myself right through the spinning. And you see the, you see the blade spinning at all times. Um, and that's an illusion that, that has danger in it. You know, we don't present it as being scary, um, but the, it's dramatic, and, you know, there is an element of danger. So I think that that hopefully will, will kind of um, have people on the edge of their seats. Uh, we do, we're doing a piece where I sit on the, on the steps, uh, the front steps of the stage, and I do some magic with everything borrowed, with all the items are borrowed from the audience. Because, you know, people, 
we've heard people say, oh, you know what, it must be trick props, it must be trick cards, it must be. So we came up with a way of going, okay, we're going to use everything that the audience gives us. And mm-hmm. that way you guys know that this can't be, you know, a trick props or, you know, something funny going on in any way. So we try to really do, do it under strict uh, conditions with that. Um, so there's a, and there's a couple other pieces we do. We do one of our levitations again. We do a, a fun audience interactive piece with a, with a mouse, a live white mouse. I don't I don't want to I don't want to ruin the surprise and tell you what the mouse does, but the mouse does something pretty amazing. Uh, so yeah, I, I I hope you guys have a chance to see it. I'm real excited for it. Definitely. I was just I was just going to say if we didn't get on getting get a, get an invite to your next show, Matthew and I are going to levitate right in the middle of it. <laughs> hey, I, that I want to see. I'll tell you what. Talk about being amazed. You guys do that, I would be amazed. <laughs> it sounds like a really incredible show. I, I love the part of the stuff about the uh, buzzsaw. It sounds like um, I hate Bub's buzzsaws. They're like scary stuff. I bet it's probably really scary to the people in the audience when you turn that sucker on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's we don't play it for – so we play it for drama. We don't play – it could be very scary, but we do it more dramatic. And I think the difference between drama and danger is that danger feels like um, – or, or scary and everything feels like something is going wrong, some, something isn't. Drama is just suspense. It's just, you know, it, it gives you that sense of, you know, that heightened sense of suspense. But, you know, we try to add fun to it. So I'll give you an example. Once the girl's cut in half, and, and one half on one side of the stage, one half on the other side of the stage, uh, and there's no boxes. You literally see her body, you know, is, there's nothing covering up her body. You literally see the two halves. She wakes up, and her upper half interacts with the audience, and her lower half, her, her feet are moving, her legs are moving. We have a giant feather. We t- I tickle her feet with a feather on one side of the stage, and her body laughs on the other side of the stage. So we try and put the fun into it so that it's not, uh, especially for the kids who are watching the show, so it's not like, like scary or doesn't leave a bad impression. We try and make it, uh, you know, more fun than anything else. That sounds great. So it's coming on yeah. June the 30th? It's airing? Yeah. Uh, the show starts June 30th. It's Friday night, 8 o'clock on the CW. It runs for 13 weeks. So every week people can tune in and see six or, you know, eight different illusions um, wow. performed in front of a live audience. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've, people have come to me and said, we, we DVR this show. And our kids watch it over, you know, they watch it over and over again all weekend. Or we, we watch it over again all weekend. And um, it's just that kind of fun show that lets you kind of forget about work and forget about all the stuff you got to do. And mm-hmm. you just kind of sit back and have fun with it. Right. Mike, what about, uh, what about you performing with the White House, man? That should have been awesome. That was, I'll tell you what, that was, talk about one of the top memories of my career in my life that was just it was almost surreal it was almost like am I really here like is this really it was you know and I mean you have to go through secret service they have to inspect everything they have to look at and it's very tricky for magicians right because you want to keep the secrecy of stuff and but then again they're secret service and their job is to look at everything um you know there were and they were everywhere the secret service were everywhere so you know 
you know that they were doing their job and you know that they were keeping everything safe. And um, But the president was about 25 feet uh, away. This was, this was a couple of uh, administrations ago, but uh, the president was about 25 feet away from me uh, with his family. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, it was, it was just, it was, it was surreal. Mm-hmm. Matthew, Michael's a yes, tough cookie boy. I'm still trying to get to that amazing button. <laughs> that's that's got to be a price you pay, you know, the cost of doing that business. When you really get into it, it's a, it's a sacrifice. Oh. That you, a gift you give other people, you can't give for yourself. It's got to be a tough thing. I don't know. Yeah, man. It, you know, it, it, it is. I, I, I would have been amazed to perform for the president, man, or sing for the president. I don't know. I'd probably been nervous. Mm-hmm. And, be hard to do it, you know what I mean? That's like once in a lifetime, maybe. That's some things that a lot of people in the world never get to experience. Yeah, well, you know I what? never told you. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I, I, I want to hear this. I never told him that I performed for a president. In 1963, Lyndon Johnson sang for him. We had a a, a folk group, and he came to South Carolina, and we we got invited to sing, sing, and we had this little uh, song that we did to uh, the Kingston Trio, the song MTA, and we changed the words to go with the political thing, and he was right there, and he heard us sing. We sang in front of 60,000 people in 1963, and that was the end of our career. (laughs) Atlanta. We didn't do it again after that. It could have been, you know, if it was today, it would have been, you know, videotaped and put on YouTube and all that kind of stuff, and that was it. It was so much fun. But uh, how many people have you performed in front of Lamont, this biggest group you ever sang in front of? Uh, I'd say about 100,000. Wow. He's always got one bigger than me, Michael. Always <laughs> he's got more. Hey, he's got I, more I, hair impressed. than me. He just always likes to remind me he's got more hair than me. <laughs> it's longer. That's impressive. A hundred thousand. That's incredible. Hey, I'm impressed by both. So, that, both those are great. That's, that's fantastic. So, <laughs> so, so what's next in store for you, Michael? Uh, well, you know what? It, it's going to be a busy. Very busy rest of the year between, uh, you know, keeping up with the show that's running all summer and we're going to be making appearances and doing a lot of promotion for that. Um, But we're also working on, um, uh, you know, our touring show goes back out in the fall and we're working on several brand new illusions um, to put into the show. I, 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 you know, was telling people that uh, for the people who've seen our show before, it's going to be 75% brand new when we're, you know, when we come back. So, uh, you know, it's, it's no rest in sight. It, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty much nonstop between now and, and the rest of the year. So I always tell people if they see a magician with a really long Italian last name coming to their town, it's probably me. So, you know, <laughs> please come see us and, you know, come and check out some of our new stuff. We will do that. Most, most definitely. And, and Michael, definitely. I want to definitely thank you again for coming through and visit us and as always man, Absolutely. you've been a blast and um, definitely learned a whole lot, heard a lot and I know our listeners are going to definitely come out and see it and um, I still want to know 
how to make a co-host disappear and reappear with half his body in one room and the other half in another room. But I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you that question when we're not on the air because I don't want certain people to hear that. Got <laughs> to do it. <laughs> well, hey guys, in all seriousness, thank you for having me on. It, 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 it's thank you for it being here. It is great here. talking to you as always. I, I, you know, I really appreciate it. Well, we oh, wish you the best and take good care of yourself out there. Take good hey, care. Uh, you too. And, uh, and definitely, we're going to be there, and, and we're going to be there to see you and support you. And if you see some guys jumping up down the audience and everything with a bald head, it won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, next time next time we're in your area, I will send you tickets. You come and see us. Okay. Uh, we'll be there. All right, thank you, Michael. We certainly appreciate you. Michael Grandinetti, everybody, Mastering the Impossible. If you just, just joined Matthew and myself, you can always hit a show from the beginning, blogtalkradio.com forward slash player. You can always get it on our site, worldmovement.com. You can get it on iTunes or, let me see, there's a bunch of other places you can get it too. But just Google us, you know. We're in the Googleable era now. So come back and check us out next week. We appreciate you, <laughs> Matthew and myself, and you listen to Canna Play a Play. You can say something, Matthew. You've been awful quiet. No, you you, you handled the whole thing right there perfectly. You're just incredible in how you handle this stuff. I will I will go away amazed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Definitely enjoyed today's show. Definitely enjoyed, I guess, Michael Gennady, everybody. Yes, absolutely. See you next week. Same time. Bye, y'all.